You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning. Once again, thank you so much for joining us for a second time doing church online. As I said last week, we're so grateful. We're so thankful that we get to meet together as a church in this way. And on that end, this morning, we'll be kind of jumping back into our series through Daniel as we've been discussing what it means to live as followers of Jesus, as strangers and exiles in this world. And I feel that this topic is even more poignant since we're all currently living in our own mini exiles right now as we practice social distancing and and as we wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of this crisis. And and while this certainly is a difficult time for us and some more than others, and and I don't want to undermine that, and we spoke uh, to that last week, uh, but at the same time, I want to highlight for us this morning that there's, there's also a silver lining in the midst of all of this as well, and it's that God often uses times of crises to usher in times of renewal. He often uses times of trial to advance his kingdom and to draw us and others closer to him. I mean, think of how God's already used this this pandemic to light up the internet with millions of church services preaching the gospel to more people than ever before. It's incredible. And, And we've also already seen this happen multiple times as we've gone through Daniel, most notably in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who was who who was humbled until all he could do was look upon the face of God, who then restored and renewed him in his mercy and grace. And this morning, we're going to see a similar posture of humility and desire for renewal in Daniel. At the beginning of this chapter chapter that we're going to be reading in, Daniel's now in his 80s, which means he's 60-something years into his exile into, in Babylon. And he's already experienced the lion's den, among other things. And now, of course, more than ever, he's longing to see his people rescued and restored back into the promised land. So turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, and we'll be reading a bit from there. And if you've forgotten your Bibles at home, well, good news, you're at home, so no excuses. So turn with me to Daniel 9, 1 to 4. All right, this is what it says. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. So a couple of weeks ago, As this pandemic was just starting for us in Alberta, my wife came home from the grocery store with a grocery bag of of one bag full of assorted fruit and a little bit of meat. And then along with that, three more grocery bags full of chips, bags of chips. And and I'm going to be honest, if it was a week earlier, I would have been like, yes, look at all these chips. 
Thank you so much. I love chips. They're so good. I, I can't eat just one. Chips, chips, chips. You know, I'm spoiling my dinner with chips. But I, I love chips. But but on this day, as as the pandemic and, and government mandates for quarantines and social distancing and uncertainty about the future and visions of post-apocalyptic movies were looming over my head, I, I, I blurted out to her, what's with all the chips? We, we can't survive on chips. Our family needs vegetables and, and canned goods and healthy things. But as it turns out, the panic buyers had already selfishly cleared the shelves that week, so chips were some of the only products left. So really under the circumstances, my wife did the best she could, though if things go south, we'll be living off chips for a while. Anyways, my, my point is, is that the pandemic had caused me to realize what was truly necessary and what was expendable, what we didn't need and what we did. That's the silver lining of, of crisis. It gives us perspective. It wakes us up to what's truly important, what really matters. And on the other side of the coin, it also makes us realize all the things we've been investing in or, or trusting in or consuming that we don't really need. And this is often how God works in us spiritually as well. Sometimes he uses trials as a way to make us mindful of our idolatry and, and our sin or our complacency in order to draw us back to him, to who we truly need, back into his mercy and his presence and back into our purpose as his people. As, as Mark Sayers writes, as we study how God brings renewal throughout history, we begin to see the pattern that crisis plays in renewal. A community may experience a natural disaster or war and be pushed back into God. An individual may experience a period of wilderness and isolation, crying out to God, who then comes to them in their pain. This person gains spiritual depth, being renewed, becoming an influencer for God. So crises and the transitions that they bring are one of the critical ways that God uses to move us. Renewal follows periods of crisis, change, and transition. Renewal follows periods of crisis, change, and transition. And this isn't to say that, that God causes all trials or periods of suffering to happen. But as it says in James, we can count it all joy as we go through various trials because it's through them that God works to strengthen us and, and draw us deeper un, into him. And, and this was one of the reasons God gave and allowed his people to be brought into exile in Babylon, precisely because they'd forgotten what was important. In their idolatry and pride, they'd forgotten what, or rather who, they truly needed, and therefore had turned their backs on God and his covenant with them. Though they not only turned their backs on him, they actually did much worse. In fact, according to the Bible, about 80 years before the exile, King Manasseh of Judah had set up altars and worshipped false idols in and around uh, Jerusalem. Even within the temple of God itself, he committed and practiced many atrocities, including murders and divination. He sacrificed humans to false gods, including his own son, and he swayed all the people of Judah to practice this same idolatry and evil with him. And so understandably, and as the prophets let them know, this made God angry. And, and so this exile was meant to be a time of discipline for 70 years. 
not just punishment, but discipline, which means to disciple someone into the right way of doing something. Ultimately, this this exile was meant to be a wake-up call for God's people to recognize their folly and their sin so that they'd repent and turn back to what's truly important. So they could be transitioned into a new beginning with God, ushered back into, into a place of physical and spiritual mercy and renewal. And in the passage we read, this, we read this morning, this is Daniel's desire. He desires to see his people renewed and rescued from their exile. He desires to see God's people restored to their homeland and into their covenant with God. So he looks to the scriptures for a clue as to, as to when this redemption is supposed to come about. And as he com- comes upon the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah, he most likely reads this passage in Jeremiah 29, 10-14. Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14, it says, For this is what the Lord says, When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. I can only imagine the, 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 the tears of joy and anticipation that would have been flowing from Daniel's eyes upon reading this promise of restoration, especially because it was getting close to that 70-year date that it mentioned. It, it also seems like he hones in on verses 12 and 13 where it says again, You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So so Daniel, desperate to see restoration and this exile come to an end, takes this posture of seeking God with all his heart. He comes before the Lord with prayers and petitions and with fasting, which means he, he hungers for God alone. And in sackcloth and ashes, which means he's humbled himself and thrown off and thrown away all his comforts. And then on behalf of himself and all of the people of Judea in exile, he repents. He confesses their collective sin before God and subsequently calls on God's mercy and for God to keep his promises to restore his people. We're going to read a little bit of his prayer, verses 15 to 19. He prays this to God. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day, we have sinned. We have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. 
Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. In, in summary, then, this exile had its proper effect on Daniel. It drew him into a place of spiritual hunger and a genuine desire and longing for God to usher in his presence and bring renewal just as he promised. The exile brought him to the end of himself. It brought him to come before God on his knees in repentance, and not only for himself, but for all his people as well. Reminding us, just as a side note, that that as we pray in, in our current places of isolation, we should be praying not just for ourselves, but for but for and behalf of one another as well. Anyways, well, while Daniel's exile and trial may look a lot different than ours, in the end, God can and does use all types of trials and, and periods of transition or disorientation in our lives to draw us and others closer to him in the same way. So while it's tempting to look at trials as nothing but horrible, dire, and, and good for nothing, with God, this isn't always the case. Knowing that God's at work in the midst of crisis means that we as Christians can actually experience and look at these circumstances in times of trial with with a more hopeful and even opportunistic uh, outlook. As Mark Sayers again writes, crises or transitions are gateways of possibility. They're gateways of possibility. Again, because they often force us, first of all, to come before God acknowledging our sin and our weaknesses. They can bring us to a place of of humility and brokenness where we can do nothing but acknowledge our need for a Savior, where we can do nothing but look to God. And this is a good thing because as we're drawn into repentance, Jesus responds with unlimited and undeserved forgiveness and grace. As Daniel writes in his prayer, and this mercy isn't based on our righteous acts or until we're good enough to deserve it, Fortunately, but rather it's, it's mercy based on who God is, on his righteousness alone, on his compassion alone. Because of Jesus' blood shed for us at the cross for our sins, we can find and receive the free gift of, of forgiveness whenever we approach him in faith. As it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And similarly, as as I said earlier, going through trials also gives us a a better clarity and perspective on what's important and what isn't. For example, in the middle of a hurricane, all of a sudden we could care less about what the high score of our video game is or, or what brand name of clothes we're wearing or how nice our car is or how much money we have in the bank or how offended we still are at so-and-so or, or how many Instagram likes we have, right? When our lives on the line, none of that stuff matters. And it often takes a crisis for us to realize that most of the things that we put so much weight and trust and identity on aren't actually that important in the grand scheme of things. It makes us realize that it's all vanity, chasing after the wind. 
Even Daniel, who, who was one of the highest officials in the courts of Babylon, who had all the riches and status anyone could want, still came before God with fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Because his exile served to repeatedly remind him that wealth and status and all of those things weren't important. Those things couldn't eternally satisfy or restore his people or bring salvation. Only God could do that. And on the flip side of that, even as most of us sit in isolation right now, my guess is that if you're anything like me, Maybe your appreciation and even longing for your family or your friends or your church community has been growing, along with the humble realization of how much we've needed these relationships and yet too often taken them for granted. It takes a crisis of isolation to realize how important community is. And on that end, times of crisis or transition are also the surest antidote for our complacency and false security. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how, as the Western church, we've been leaning on a false sense of security and worldly comfort and how it's caused us to both become lazy in our faith and and to forget our daily need to, to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And now look where we are. That feeling of being untouchable is long gone. Right? Many of our comforts and worldly pleasures have been stripped from us. Many of the, the systems and securities we've, we've relied on and trusted in and, and grown so accustomed to are no longer available. We, we can't even go to the mall and spend money on our feelings anymore. This crisis is, is surely a call from God for us to wake up from our prideful slumber. Romans 13, 11 says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Let this crisis be a wake-up call for us as the church. Let us no longer be complacent or, or apathetic in our faith. Let us no longer look to the world for our identity and our security and our hope. Instead, let this time of trial fill us with a holy discontent. Let it, let it create in us a, a greater hunger for more of God's presence and a spirit-filled desire for Jesus' salvation and renewal to fall on his church and throughout the world. Let this crisis be a wake-up call for us to what's truly important what's truly important to God. And this is also what crisis does for us. It forces us to align ourselves to God and His purposes. The silver lining of a a crisis or moments of disorientation in our lives is that it causes us to, to recognize or realize or admit what little control or entitlement we actually have. And therefore, it draws us to look to and and seek the course of the one who's in control and the one who has a perfect plan. We can learn from Daniel here. As Daniel faced uncertainty in the midst of his exile, he was drawn to turn to God's word in order to understand what was happening. And this this is a lesson for us, right? That, That as we face uncertainty, we need to dig deeper into God's word to seek out his plan and and understand his promises so that we can gain deeper understanding and, and align ourselves accordingly to who he's called us as his church to be in these times. This is the purpose of prayer as well. Not to make demands of God, but to humbly align ourselves with his will. 
Notice how when Daniel prays, he doesn't, he doesn't pray for his own wants. He prays only that God would do what God said he would do according to his word. And then he prays that he would do it only for the sake of God's reputation and for his glory. And in regards to, to aligning ourselves with Jesus' calling for us as the church, moments of crisis like what we're, what we're experiencing right now actually create incredible opportunities for us to do what he's called us to do, to make disciples, to proclaim the name of God, and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In times of despair or isolation or fear, people are way more receptive to the gospel precisely because the gospel provides the hope, grace, peace, and community that they desperately long for. Right? There's a reason church attendance increased exponentially after 9-11 and why Christianity grows the fastest in countries with great persecution and trial. Because the gospel offers what we need. In these times, people are looking for hope, and we know that hope is a person named Jesus. Also, as, as more and more people become in need these days, we're also presented with an amazing opportunity to show the world the love of God by loving our neighbors and loving one another, by serving the poor and widows. And so let's not hide out in our bunkers looking out only for ourselves. Let's allow this crisis to, to move us into faithful action for God's name. Let's, let's allow God to use us in this time to, to plant the seeds for a renewal that's sure to come in the days or months or years ahead. Again, the silver lining of crisis is that God's at work in the midst of it. And therefore, if we want to see it, and if we want to walk in it, if we desire to see renewal come out of this time of crisis that we should take Daniel's example and do what he did. Come before the Lord. Seek the Lord with all our heart. Humbly come before him with repentance and confession. Lean on his promises to restore and call on him to do what he's promised to do for his glory. As it says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who bear my name humble themselves pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And ultimately though, it's Jesus who fulfills this promise of God to his people through his perfect sacrifice at the cross for our sin and by the power of his resurrection. He offers all who believe in his name the free gift of grace and this promise of renewal, both now and into eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Through Jesus' grace, we find personal and spiritual renewal. But Jesus is also the one who declares at the end of the days, Behold, I make all things new. This is where we find the promise that, that, that through Christ will dwell with God. And, and as it says in Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
Ultimately, this is, is the renewal that we long and hope and pray for as we live in this exile. For Jesus to return and make all things new. And on that end, this is also what we remember and proclaim as we join together at the Lord's table to receive communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we're going to receive that in a moment. But first, let's bow our heads in prayer. And, and um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray the words of Psalm 130 for us today. It's, it's, a, it's a cry of lament for God to bring renewal, for God to bring forgiveness and renewal on his people. And this is a a prayer for us this morning. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen.